Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, today we're going to be talking about something that I doesn't get talked about a ton. The role of the pastor, the role of the church, and Jesus. And uh, as I've been studying this, it's the burden of the pastoral role and the challenge to the people is it's been pretty heavy for me this week. You know, Peter finishes his letter with, with a very specific words to the pastor of the, of the church. With very strong words to the pastors and, and the people that go there. And, and why would he do such a thing as he's wrapping up a letter? He, he just finished talking about suffering and all these things. But why would he all of a sudden go hard on the pastor? Because he just told the whole church, you're going to go through hard times. He just said in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sober judgment, of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He said the end is near. This was 2,000 years ago that he wrote this. He said the end is near. So if the end was near then, how much more is the end near now? And how much more are these words important to us today? And then he says in the same chapter, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For it is time for the judgment to begin, and it starts in the household of God. And so that's the, the, the backdrop. That, that's how we get set up to the beginning of chapter 5. And that's why this series, We Can't Stop, We Won't Stop, is so important. Because if the end was near then, that means the end is so much more near now. What does that look like? I don't know. But what I do know is these words scream louder than ever before. These words are more important than ever before. And as I studied these words this week, I was challenged more than I ever have been. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the great shepherd. And Lord, you lead, you guide, and you protect us. So, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would encourage your people, encourage me, those viewing online, encourage us, Lord, today. Lord, um, there are many shepherds preaching your word this morning. I think of my friend Brian at Valley Life Tremano. I think of my friend Mike over at Mission Valley. Lord, I think of my friend Jared over at Desert City. My friend Nick over at Christ Church. My friend Mark over at Calvary. And God, I ask that you would speak to us here at City View. And Lord, I pray that we would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm going to be a little more probably on the serious note today. Probably, some of you, it, it might sting a little bit today. It stung me this week. Just the challenge of, of my role, of the role of the pastor the calling, the, the realistic study of, of pastors and pastors quitting, the burden that comes along with it, 
the temptation for power and riches and influence. And it's just, and then the church and how we all intertwine. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning, verse 1. And if you're wondering why am I sitting today, I'm trying it. There's bets on how long I'm going to stay in the chair. And I'm, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to stay just to stick it to those betters against me. Probably not. I already feel like I'm in chains. I'm like, ah, get me out of this chair. Okay, First Peter chapter four, 5, verse 1. Therefore, so there's the background. There's the Peter referring to what he just said. Therefore, because the church will be judged first. Therefore, because suffering is about to come and it's going to come to the church. Therefore, that's what Paul is referring to. Therefore, I exhort the elders, not the old people, elders, the leaders, the pastors, shepherds, the, the, the overseers of the church. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and the partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Therefore, Peter is speaking to these elders, pastors, leaders, and teachers of the church. And he says, I exhort you, meaning I, I want to encourage, I want to compel you in a certain direction. And before he goes, he, before he does his big ask, before he goes into what he's about to say in verses two and three to the pastors, he says, I get it. He says, I've been there. I'm, I'm in the work too. I understand the burden of being a pastor. I understand the burden of being an elder. He says, I get it. He goes, I witnessed firsthand our great shepherd, Jesus. He says, I witnessed firsthand his suffering. When he says this, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. He says, I, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I, I witnessed his betrayal. I was one of the betrayees. He goes, I, I witnessed his beatings. I witnessed his death. Yet I'm still here. I'm still leading the church. I'm still doing what God has called me to do. He understands the call of the shepherd. And then even after Peter denied Jesus three times, which you think, wouldn't that disqualify somebody? Cussing out your boss three times. I think you'd probably get fired. Jesus rose from the dead. Peter and his buddies, they go on a fishing trip. They're out on a boat to the end of the book of John. And there they see this guy cooking fish on the shore. And this guy yells, hey, did you guys catch anything? Fishermen... Love and hate that phrase. They love it when they have. Hey, I caught a few. Anything good? Me, you know, a couple, you know, I caught a five pounder, a six pounder, a whale. (laughs) 
But most times when the fisherman is asked, have you caught anything, their response is no, not yet. And so this guy, Jesus, yells from the shore, have you guys caught anything yet? And they say, no, not yet. He goes, toss your nets on the other side. And like, why do people always want to tell a fisherman what they're supposed to do? It's like me trying to tell you and your profession, I mean, an attorney, hey, have you tried this? And like, I know what I'm talking about. I don't. If you're an engineer, I have no clue to give you any advice on engineering. I'm not going to, if you're a computer person at all, I'm like, well, I use my Mac and copy. And, I have to look up how to copy and paste on it all the time or yell to Josh's office. Hey, Josh, how do you do it? Because he's younger than I am. Copy and paste up like a whole screenshot is what I'm talking about. So Jesus yells over to them. They don't know it's Jesus yet. He says, hey, toss your nuts over the other side. So they do so, and they catch an insane amount of fish. They realize it's Jesus at that point. So they start rowing back. Peter is so anxious to see Jesus, he jumps overboard and swims. As he's getting out of the water, the boat is pulling up as well. Yeah, have you ever done that? Been in such a hurry and you get there at the same time? And Jesus and Peter have this moment. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. He says, Peter, tend my lambs. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. And he says, shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? A third time, Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times, Jesus forgives him. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you, I've said it. You know I love you. He says, tend my sheep. Three times he says, feed and shepherd my people. Feed and shepherd my people. Feed and shepherd my people. This is that call to care, to protect, to provide, to feed and lead God's people. And Peter says, all of you who are leaders of the church, I get it. I get the burden. I get the care. I get it. Peter is sharing his personal experience in this. And he says, guys, and I've seen the glory of Jesus. He wraps up that, that first statement there. He, he says, he says and, and, the, and the, to be partakers of the glory that is revealed, he saw Jesus' glory revealed on, at this moment in Matthew and different books, Matthew and Mark and Luke. I don't remember if John has that. I'm totally spacing right now. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus, Peter, James, and John go up on top of this mountain and they hear God's voice and Jesus turns from being normal carpenter Jesus to shiny Jesus and he sees the glory of God for a moment. And so he says this to them because he knows the things they're going through. He knows the burden the pastors have. He knows that the burden, the persecution, the difficulties will be way more than on them than on anybody else. He knows the reality of the pastor, the stress he will be under is gonna be way more than anybody else who attends their church. And so he speaks to them. He says, guys, I get it. And then he tells them this, verse two. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. The call of the pastor is no small task. It's no simple thing. It's dangerous. It's hard. T- today, I'm, I'm going to let you in a little bit on, on my life today, on the, the, the life of a pastor. It's, it's a road traveled by few, and only a very few make it to the very end. It is estimated that around 250 pastors quit every month, quit ministry. In my own life as ministering to pastors and working with them and even being in ministry here in the valley for over 20 years, I have personally seen multiple of my own friends leave the ministry. Some out of moral failure, financial failure, some out of just getting so beat up that they leave the ministry. A friend of mine posted this. There was a pastor by the name of Darren, um, Darren Patrick, committed suicide about four years ago, lead pastor of a big church. And a good friend of his wrote this. He said, I used to really look up to Darren. He was so influential in my life when we started Riverview Church more than a dozen years ago. I read his books, watched his videos, listened to his sermons. Darren's got a story full of ups and downs just like anybody else. And in many ways, from what little I knew of him, he was just like anybody else, except he wasn't. He was a pastor. He wasn't like anybody else. He wasn't normal. Normal people get the clock out of their jobs. Normal people don't get stopped in the grocery store by strangers and listen to them pour out their hearts in the middle of the cereal aisle. I've literally had that happen. Normal people don't have to write a 45-minute 45 minutes of new, con- of new content every week, deliver it publicly, and have their heart's work scrutinized by those sitting. Normal people don't feel the spiritual responsibility for tens, hundreds, or even thousands of families in their community. Normal people's phones don't ring at 2 a.m. when a marriage breaks up or someone is rushed to the hospital. Normal people aren't called to the scene when somebody dies unexpectedly. Darren was a pastor but Darren wasn't normal at all. And neither is your pastor. The pressure that your pastor experiences on a daily and weekly basis is unreal. And most times he would give anything to just be normal. I'm not sure why Darren was on my heart so strongly yesterday. This is when it was written. I wondered about his wife and his family. And then when I looked, I realized that it had been three years since he had taken his life. As Peter writes to the pastor, he writes that they would guard their hearts. Because this call is no simple call that a person, when they step into ministry, it's it's way bigger than they'll ever know. 
nobody told me when God called me into ministry all the things that I would get to walk through. Nobody told me about the calls I would get in the middle of the night of a young man who died of a brain aneurysm and I have to go be by his bedside and help his parents walk through donating his organs. Nobody walked me through having to counsel people who are going through marriage struggles, who are trying to figure out how do we make the marriage work when one spouse wants to and the other one doesn't. And there's kids involved. Nobody taught me how to do that. Nobody had to taught how to help me walk through political and social and social injustices and justices that happened. Nobody taught me how to do that. There was no class in, in school when they said, this is how you're going to walk through a pandemic and how you're going to help people figure out whether or not you open church, close church, keep it, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, tell people to get a shot, not get a shot, whether it's right or wrong or what to do. No, there's no class about that. Peter says, I get it. He says, I get it. He says, pastors, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, oversight, not in a compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. The call of the pastor is a scary, scary thing. It says in James chapter 3, verse 1, not, let not many among you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Hebrews, which we're going to get to the end, says, the pastor is the carer of your soul. Which, when I read those, I'm like, what the? God, for reals? Acts says in Acts 2.20, you're not going to have a lot of these verses because I added them this morning at 5 o'clock. Keep watch over yourselves, pastors, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. And this is what God says about them, which he bought with his blood. You're his in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, God speaks to the pastors who misuse their role, which there are pastors who have done that. I know pastors today who are currently doing it. If I could go and be like pastor wrestling, if I could be like Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and get like pastors in a ring, I wouldn't do it. But some of those pastors need God's rod and staff against them. Peter says, shepherds, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Why does God call people flock and sheep? Because that's, Throughout scripture, that's what the people who go to church, that's what they're called. Because sheep wander. Sheep get lost, sheep get hurt, sheep need a healer, sheep need care, sheep need to be led to good food. Left to themselves, sheep will get lost, they will eat what they shouldn't, they will drink where they shouldn't, they will find themselves in danger of either places they shouldn't be or wild beasts. And that happens so many times. And God has placed the shepherd 
a pastor in that seat to care for. The problem is most of us don't want to be seen as sheep, as weak, as helpless, but we want to feel like I know what to do. I know where to go. I know how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. And God's just saying, hey, why don't you just trust me? We don't like to need help. We don't like to think that we could do something wrong. We don't like to think that we need a savior, but Jesus is a great shepherd and a loving savior. The role of the pastor shepherd, shepherd is to care is, is to care for God's sheep, God's kids. It not only means, it's not, it, the shepherd, the pastor, it's, it's not only to preach and teach, but it's to tend and shepherd the flock. I read this in one of my commentaries, to, to feed sheep even if he has to gather them in his arms and carry them to the pasture. The pasture is to, to guide the sheep to the pasture away from the rough places and, and, um, and places. The pastor is, is to guide and to seek and to save the sheep who get lost. I can't tell you how many times I've texted somebody who I've noticed hasn't been coming to church in a while, and I just shoot them a text, hey, how are you doing? It's to protect the sheep. He, the pastor is to even be willing to sacrifice his own life for the sheep. The pastor is called to restore the sheep who go astray and, and, um, and to re get them to return. The pastor is to reward the sheep for their obedience and faithfulness. The pastor is to keep the sheep separate from the goats. That means those who are not to be there. This is what is meant when one is called to be a shepherd. And Peter says to them, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and do not, and not for sordid game, but for eagerness. Peter now in these two verses, he gives positives and negatives on what it is to lead the people. The first thing he says, he says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, not by force, but willingly. The pastor should not have to be forced or coerced to minister. He should willingly shepherd God's flock. The minister, the pastor, the elder, the leader of the church must willingly do the will of God. He should never have to be compelled, coerced, or manipulated to do the calling that God has on his life. The great tragedy is many have been called by God into ministry, called the shepherd, God's flock, but they refuse to. And I read some of the reasons why they refused to. Some they refused because they felt unworthy and inadequate. Some refused to because they felt the cost was too much, and so they take an easier route. Some felt it required too much sacrifice. It is, it takes a lot of sacrifice. Some didn't want to bear the reproach of ministry, so they leave for something simpler. Because you can't turn ministry off. I, I, so I, as I've told you, I have a bug job that I do occasionally. You want to know what's nice about that job? I go into a house, I spray it, I start to the right, I go around, I leave, and guess what I don't think about at the end of the day? That house. Unless it's super disgusting and cluttered and hoarder. Sometimes I think about them, and I just think... This is really sad, and no wonder you have bugs. If you just clean, you might not have them anymore. Other than that, I don't think about that job. 
But you guys, I think about you. Sometimes they don't step into ministry because they felt the demands and the duties and expectations were too much to bear. And if I were to sit and think about these things, let me tell you, I would get overwhelmed, but I don't. I don't focus on the negative. I focus on the lives that were changed, the, the people that are getting baptized in two weeks. I, I, I focus on the, the good, because when you focus on the bad of anything in life, you will get torn down. That's just the reality. And there might be somebody in this room today that even though I'm going to teach them the hard things, even though I tell you that this road is hard, that not many of you should become teachers because the the judgment is more firm, you still feel right now, I feel called into ministry. And that might be you. And if that's you, that's a good thing. And if there's anybody in here, is there anybody in here you just sort of feel a call into ministry? Call to pastor a church someday. Is there anybody in here? Caden, I have a book for you. Come on up. The call is no simple task, and I'm sure you know because your dad is in the role. But the call is nothing to run away from, it's to run to ready to fight and lead God's sheep. It's easy for any of us to come up with reasons why we won't serve God. It's easy. We come up with reasons like, I'm not qualified. Man, let me tell you, if you saw my life, I'm not qualified. I don't, I don't have enough time. People won't like how I do it. I'm not as good as the other person. Oh, I'm not. Man, there are people who are way better speakers than me. I'm not an eloquent preacher. I mean, you all, you still come back. I'm just, a, I just talk. You should see my emails. I had somebody else send an email for me this week. I said, here's what I want in it. Will you make it sound good? And they sent it. I was like, wow, that sounds like good. I would never write that. I would have written how I talk. Hey, y'all, how you doing? I hope you have a good day. Thanks for coming. Bye. <laughs> Who says that in an email? I would have. But people think I'm too much of a sinner. We come up with these excuses, but God says, hey, you know what? You're called. You're called to serve, and some of you are called to ministry. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for available ones. Pastors are to exercise oversight because it is God's will. The pastor reports to God. His role is to honor God and listen for what God is calling them to do. It's a scary thing how many pastors choose their own will over God's. Peter says to them again, he says another encouragement, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. The next warning, the next hazard to avoid is the temptation to be motivated by money or popularity. It says, not for sordid gain, which means to seek wealth, but to shepherd with eagerness. This has the ideal of, idea of stealing from the sheep, of manipulating them for more. This doesn't mean pastors aren't to be paid. This doesn't mean they work for free. 
I remember hearing a story of a pastor friend of mine. He was talking to a, a lady in his church, and she said, I sure hope pastors don't make more than $3,000 a year here at this church. But yet, that same lady would want the pastor there once a week, want her to pray with her, available to her, to minister. But Peter says it's not to become rich, but you gotta make sure that the pastor's call, the main role, the more I study, the more I look at this call, Peter, or the disciples in Acts chapter six, they, they're in this moment of the church expanding, but they're having to serve and do all this other work. They're having to have these other jobs and preach. And they go, hey guys, we must focus on, the, on prayer and the preaching of God's word. One of the biggest questions I get, what do you do all day? I get two questions. And should the pastor be paid for weddings and funerals? Two biggest questions. What do I do all day? I study God's word. It's a big thing I do for hours. I study and I dive into it. I turn into it. I want to make sure that what I preach has been soaked into me so that what comes out is what God has for you. And so, I, so I, am, I am chewing on it. I'm reading it. I'm reading it in different translations. I'm, I'm reading and writing, doing word studies. I mean, I will sit now. I'm, I, as I told you, I'm reading this book called Deep Work. I'm trying to make sure my brain gets into the deeper, scarier areas of Jeremiah's brain. Um, and so I've been having to like get away from any technology just so I can focus for time. That's what you're, you're getting my first one of those today. And <laughs> let me tell you, it's good. I love it. Weddings, funerals. Sometimes, there's, there's a lot of times I don't even get paid. And you're like, well, it's not your job. Well, if, if you do it on a Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock, yeah, that's my job. But when are weddings ever Wednesday at three in the afternoon? When are they? When are they? When is the wedding? Saturday. Sunday. Sunday. And you want the pastor to meet with you beforehand. And he does counseling with you while you're going through it, which is, they don't, we don't mind any of this. I just don't, like, you know when you go into a job? <laughs> My butt never left the seat. <laughs> but you know when you go into a job and you want to know the expectations? I just, I want to just tell you. Like, so that what happens when a pastor does a wedding is they're gone for hours I've had to actually, like, I did one wedding in Flagstaff. I had to pay a babysitter to watch my kids. I had to get my own hotel because they wanted me there for the, whatever it's called beforehand, rehearsal. And I go and do it, and I come home. It, I was even, and then they, they, I think they paid me 100 bucks. I was out about 600 paying a babysitter, gas, all those kind of things. So just know that when you're thinking, like a gift card to a restaurant, that's sweet and all, but that doesn't pay a bill. It's nice, they're appreciative. They'll never tell you, really? Do you know how much money it costs me to do your wedding today? How many hours, extra hours? Because they still, they don't, put your, they don't put their sermon on hold to do your wedding. God's people still, so I'm just, I'm just telling you, and then, but when it comes to funerals, like, those are, 
you, the pastor never wants to tell you the cost. So you know what we've done now? There's just a fee when you fill out the form to do a funeral. Um, Mark just put it together so you can just be like, oh, that's what it costs. That's so much easier for us. And then, but at that point, we really, I'm not out to get rich. I'd still drive a 2007 Scion XB. We bought a 2011 um, GMC Yukon because we could pay cash for it. Is it what I wanted? No, I wanted a brand new Ford Expedition, the Max one. That's what I wanted. Because I don't. if you're a GMC person, nothing against you. I'm a Ford guy. Not that one's better than another. It's just preference. It's how the seat fills. It's my butt's in the chair, not yours. Pastoring. Back to this. The pastor's role, the pastor reports to the Lord. And so the pastor is not to do it for money, but with this eager heart, which I can tell you that's, I, I don't, I'm not trying to manipulate you in any ways. I'm just, you, I believe that most of you come because you like my honesty. So I'm trying to just be honest, just be real. You're like, well, you didn't tell us the cost. If you want to know, I'll tell you that personally. The pastor is called to this. As the world gets more and more difficult, there's going to be a day where the church can't afford to pay a pastor. I won't quit what I'm doing. As long as I don't walk away from the Lord, which please pray for me that I don't, I will do this no matter the cost. Because this is my burden and this is my call. It's been my call since I was 18 years old. I love what I do. It's hard, but I love it. I have godly men around me that help encourage and help keep me on track. Our elders, through one, two, three, four of them are in here right now. I think Tony is wandering around somewhere, making sure everything runs smoothly. I have godly men around me. Our elder board is a group of godly men that keep me in line. Because if you guys, if you knew some of the crazy things I would just do out of a good heart, wanting to do things in ministry, we probably wouldn't have any money in our account if Tony would say, Jeremiah, we can't spend everything on outreach or we can't spend everything on making sure to bless somebody else. Like I would want to spend, send money to Maui. Like let's help them out. We got money in our account. There's a church that, that is trying to buy a building. I'm like, let's send money. And then we're like, Jeremiah, why isn't our electric bill being paid? Well, just Jeremiah gave it all away. So it godly men. But the reality is we all have hearts like that. But you can't do that. I love what I do. And I pray I'll do it till the day I die. Peter says in verse three, he says, not yet as lording it over those who are allotted to your charge, but pro proving to be examples to the flock. The third thing he says is not lording, not domineering, but be an example. The pastor is to be an example in every area of his life. The pastor is to lead people by living for Christ. He is to preach and teach Christ, but he is first to live out his Christian life, what he preaches at home. The pastor is to live exactly as he preaches, to be an example and to practice what he says. 
And I am so thankful for forgiveness because I don't always do it. I'm so thankful that God is so full of forgiveness for me. Grace keeps me in the game. Mercy helps me see how far he has gone for me. His love cleanses me. If there is anything you can learn from me, it is to be quick to seek forgiveness, quick to admit you're wrong, stay close to God, and stay in his word. Don't believe the lies of the devil. If there's anything to follow my example, be those things. Be quick to seek forgiveness. Be quick to admit you're wrong. Don't believe the lies. And stay close to him. Peter then says in verse four, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter then has everyone look to the perfect example of Jesus, which we're gonna get to in just a little bit. I wanna end looking at Jesus. Verse five, Peter says, you young men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter then, as he's encouraged and challenged the pastors, he turns his focus onto the church. Speaks first to the young men. And he says to the young men, listen to the leadership that God has placed over you. Seek their wisdom. Be humble. Don't think you have it all together. I failed as a young leader. I thought I had it all together. I'm still young. I want to believe I am. I'm only like 30-something. I'm a 16-year-old. I'm not 30-something. I'm 44. If you're wondering, how old is that guy? I'm, I'm a young 44. But I made a lot of foolish mistakes in my young years of not listening to my elders, not listening to the people who could speak into my life. So, young men, there's older men out there that want to give you wisdom. Listen to them. Young men, seek out your pastor's wisdom. Ask questions. Don't go into life foolishly just thinking you're going to figure it out on your way. Ask help. Ask help in marriage. Ask help in dating. Ask help in business. Ask help. You're like, how would my pastor know anything about business? Here's what your pastor should know about seeking the will of God. The, the, we, we, the best thing, we may not know the answer, but we know how to ask you questions. I'm, I'm good at question asking. And that helps you guide to the right answer. Have a humble heart. And then, people, and then Peter turns to the whole church with the same encouragement of humble yourself under the leadership of the church. He says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is a tough passage as I read through it. Obey your leaders, for they keep watch over your soul. God has placed your pastor over you, to care for you, 
to guide you, to shepherd you, to watch over your soul. How that works and looks, I don't know. I, I don't... I don't know how I watch over your... Not like I sit here and I see all of your spiritual souls as you sit here. That would be really weird if you just like ghostly figures. I, but part of it is just making sure that you are being taught the truth of God's word is watching over your soul. But in today's time, it's really hard to do our job. When, you, when I read through this, this passage, Paul uses these words like your flock that's allotted to you, the flock that is there. The, the flock. It seems like there's this group of people that each pastor has. But in our modern culture, people just bounce from church to church to church, don't they? We, we go according to maybe what's being preached. We go according to, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do one church for one thing and another church for another thing and because we like this dude or we like how this is done or I like that. And so we bounce from church to church to church. When that happens, the pastor can't do his job because you don't have a pastor. You have a hireling. You have a spokesman who tickles your heart and your ears the average churchgoer hops from church to church depending on what is taught, how they feel, or what they can or can't get out of it, what they give or don't have to give in it, what's expected out of them or what they don't have to. So people bounce from here to here to here. And then my role as the shepherd, as, as the person who's, and I'm not trying to guilt you, not at all, a little bit, but not at all. <laughs> but as I read this, I thought, man, this is hard for the pastor today. There was actually a lot of things that I really started chewing on this week, but I won't share them because I shared them with my wife and that was it. But we've become a consumer mentality church. What works, what works for me, what's easy for me, what, what, what doesn't offend me, what doesn't make me have to work to go to church. And so church becomes this thing we do instead of who we are. Some of you are probably getting uncomfortable. You're probably thinking, I need to, so you're telling me I can't. I know there are times where we want to go visit a church because they've got Bob Goff speaking. I don't blame you. So do I. I just happen to be here in this seat. So there are times where I'm like, well, I'm going to go double dip. I'm going to go there on Saturday or they've got a, you know, Saturday, they got a Thursday, they got a Monday night, whatever consumers need. They got, they got all that. I'm going to go listen to the Bob Goff because he's cool. Who doesn't want some big friendly guy to love you from the stage and then hug you? You go, some of you are probably, who's Bob Goff? Read his book, Love Does. Read it. It's one of the best all-time books. I try to read it every year. But God, in the, as Peter's writing this, people had a group, and that was their place. And they had a pastor, and he was their shepherd. And when you don't have a shepherd, it makes it really hard when your life starts falling apart. Because you, you will go, you'll look for somewhere to go, and, and if your pastor doesn't know you, and one thing that's been convicting me is, is church size. How do you shepherd, how do you truly do this call? I've been really diving into this whole 
dynamic of, of the role of the pastor and, and just all of these things. And I'm not saying I, I want to, we should drop down to like 10. That's why you got to have other men, pastors, elders around you. But it's when you easily go hide away, your soul's not being shepherded. And I just want to call you and encourage you, find, if this is your church home, be home. And I'm not, I know some of you, you're here and you're like, oh my gosh, Jeremiah, are you talking to us? I wrote this before I knew who was going to be here. I just wrote this solely because this is the, where I'm at today and this is the passage, First Peter 5. I'm preaching through the word. So if you're feeling guilty, that's all on you. And I'm not speaking to anybody specifically. I would preach this at every single church I could. I'd say, find a home, make it home, find a pastor that you can know. Because your pastor, your shepherd, should be able to shepherd. Here at City View, we want to lead, we want to guide, but we are fallible. We are not perfect. I will fail you. I will not be at everything for you. I will mess up. I'll say things that are wrong and hopefully I'll figure it out at some point. I hope I don't mess up anything too bad. But we have a shepherd who's the best shepherd and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. John chapter 10, 11 says, Jesus is the good shepherd. He sacrificed himself for you. He knows you by name. I don't know all of you by name. I'm still trying to get to know you. I try. I try really, really hard. But as I get older, this brain doesn't fire on all cylinders anymore. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Jesus, he is the great shepherd. He will equip you and he is working in you. Your shepherd. Jesus, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, Jesus is the shepherd, the guardian of your soul. He will watch over you, protect you, lead, and care for you. This is your good shepherd. This is Jesus, your pastor, me. I will fail you, but Jesus can't fail you. He can't. He doesn't know how to. It's not in his character. He's a good, great, perfect shepherd that loves his people. One thing you need to know is your soul is at stake. And there are two forces fighting for it. There is God and the devil, and they both want your soul. The devil will force himself on you. Jesus never will. He will never force himself on you. But this is one thing he will do. He will guard you. He will protect you. He will be there for you. You may wander. You may stray. You know this. Know this as your pastor. I will love you through it. When God told me and when I was getting ready to start City View, the passage God gave me comes from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9. And it says this. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered... From the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them to a place and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. God said to me, Jeremiah, as long as City View is all about me, 
as long as it's never about you, I will gather the scattered. And that's my heart. Whether it's the scattered who have walked away from church because there is real church hurt, there are bad pastors out there. There's bad leadership. Stinks, but that's real. It's everywhere. There are scattered who walked with the Lord when they were young and at some point in high school, junior high, they walked away from the Lord. There are scattered who were raised in Christian homes but never believed it and they were, they were scattered. They walked away from the Lord. There are scattered who never knew God. They are scattered. But at some point, as Jared says so many times, people start going on a faith journey. This is a place where the scattered can gather. Scattered can gather find hope and peace. And that's not found in a man or a place. It's found in a savior and his name is Jesus. So church, I will do my best to shepherd. But Jesus can only do the best as he shepherds you. So trust him. Look to him, listen to him, and he will guide you. We are in times where we desperately need to stand for what we believe in, and only in Jesus will we stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being, always being there for us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you for giving us peace and hope. Thank you that we can trust you and we can rely upon you. Thank you that you are a good shepherd. And Lord, our souls hurt and our souls ache and we get hurt and we wander and, and we struggle and we, we make mistakes. But Jesus, our good shepherd, just like you forgave Peter, you forgive us. So Jesus, I pray, God, that you would, would soften and work in our hearts that we might hear from you, our good shepherd. Jesus, you are, you call us by name. Lord, you know our likes and our dislikes. You know our hurts and pains and the deepest things in our soul that need care. So, Lord, you are our shepherd. We shall not want. In your name. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.